0: You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtonomedia.com
1: And Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Anime Crash Course, Nerd to Media's monthly anime book club. Uh, with me, we have two wonderful guests. Uh, we have Keen and Katie. Say hi, guys.
0: Hi, guys.
1: Woo! Merry January. <laughs> Merry January. <laughs> Happy New
0: What year is it? <laughs> it doesn't
1: matter. Nothing it else.
2: is time. Nothing it is time for anime.
1: It is always time for anime over here on the show. <laughs> uh, and this month, this time, I cannot be more excited to talk about truly a staple of anime culture as a whole. That it's really a shock we haven't covered any of their their works this time. This month we are talking about Studio Ghibli's Princess Mononoke. Uh so, now, <laughs> of course, like it, it, it would be sinful and insane of me to not talk to talk about any a studio movie without bringing up their fe- co-founder and director Mr. Hayao Miyazaki so can
2: we add um, some like trumpets there
1: just uh, just a full big band orchestra because this guy goddamn <laughs> deserves it and um, so let's roll the clock on back to talk about this absolute legend of in the industry uh, so Miyazaki was born in the Bunkyo ward in Tokyo in 1941. Uh, getting a start in animation, working for Toei Animation, one of the big powerhouses of uh, serialized anime in the country, in 1963, involved a kind of say a variety of kind of pro- uh, serialized projects at the time, such as Doggy March and Animal Treasure Planet. Uh, a lot of the, the a lot of the shows at this time were uh, adaptations of kind of classical Western literature. Uh, like he, like one of his main influences was uh, an animated version of Heidi. Uh, and during his time Ooh. working with Toei, he is where he met his, uh, you know, his one of his lo- one of his long-time collaborat- collaborators, Isao Takahata. Uh, so after working for Toei for a couple of years, Miyazaki kind of moved between several different studios throughout the early 70s, such as A-Pro, Nippon Animation. Uh, eventually landing himself in telecom and telecom animation film, uh, which is where he, di- he got to direct his first feature length film, Loop and the Third, The Castle of Cagliostro, in 1979. And then in the same studio in 1984, producing his first original work uh, with Takahata, uh, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind.
0: Ooh.
1: After which, uh, Miyazaki and Takahata broke off, broke indie, and founded uh, Studio Ghibli.
2: Okay, so he's a proper like kind of like working from the ground up type of director. Like you know, he didn't sort of come through some avenue. Like,
1: oh yeah, no, like he 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 made his way. Like it was as as he said. Like there's two decades of work before he got to found Ghibli, and up until Ghibli, he was just another director. Like it's it's uh, it's it's difficult now in modern circumstance to talk about Miyazaki as not an icon.
2: Well, what makes him so like? I know you probably got like a big plan thing, but what to you makes him so iconic then?
1: I think like it, it's hard to say because as long as I've been alive and um, consuming his work, it's he's always just kind of been this standout. It's I think probably one of the reasons, at least kind of from uh, the Western perspective, is because it was his works that were like at the forefront of anime before, you know, the modern wave of the internet. Um, I, and like when, uh, like in the kind of the, 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 the late 90s, uh, it was mostly a lot, of, a lot of Ghibli's movies that were being sent over here and, and shown in, th- in cinemas. Uh, like the likes of Nausicaa, Castle in the Sky, and Kiki's Delivery Service, and My Neighbor Totoro. Like these were the, these were one of the few anime movies that were actually getting shown here. Uh, so like in terms of, at least from a Western perspective, he was kind of the only name in 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 anime. Uh, and then obviously Okay I'm... with uh, um, for, for reasons I'll kind of get into when we start talking about Mononoke, uh, that like that just shot him up into like blockbuster stats.
2: And like what about you, Katie? Kind of what do you are you a big Ghibli fan? Like how much do you kind of bring to the table here in terms of what you've seen and what you haven't?
0: I wouldn't say I'm a big Ghibli fan. Like I like Ghibli, obviously. I just I like I wouldn't have seen as many movies as, you know, other people who would call themselves big Ghibli fans, but I've seen kind of the the major staples. So I've seen like Spirited Away, Hell's Moving Castle. Uh, Ponyo, that kind of thing. So I, I'm kind of more of a noob, not a newbie like I've been watching them for a few years, but I'd be more kind of novice in that regard.
1: Yeah, that's uh, like, I think, like, I think, I, I, like, when I, I was so surprised when I found out just how many works Ghibli had under their belt that weren't uh, Miyazaki's actually went funnily enough. Because, like, his are, his are at the forefront of the studio. Uh, your, your Totoro's, your Spirit of the Ways, your Hellsmoon Castles. Uh but when you actually kinda of dig into it, there's a lot of kind of uh just kind of weird experimental stuff behind the surface, and a lot of which was then a lot of which was directed by uh Takahata. Uh, like one famous uh, production was in the studio concurrently being produced So like you're kind of stuff. Sorry.
2: Oh sorry, I didn't mean to cut across you there. I <laughs> just meant like you're kinda of, I was just saying your pompocos and your You're sort of yeah, weird yeah. Out there ones, like...
1: Yeah, your, your creative stuff, like uh, the Taylor Princess Kaguya, which is this beautiful, like, animated watercolour piece. Um, oh, yeah,
2: that that was amazing. That looked and, like it was being drawn in real time, like...
1: Oh, it's stunning. Um, but, yeah, like, it's as, as, I was going, as I was saying, though, like, one um, really, really famous kind of example of, of the creative works that were happening in there was that the same time My Neighbor Totoro was being created, this real whimsical and um, laid back kind of kind of adventure affair was this uh well me was producing that uh just down the corridor takahata was producing grave of the fireflies which
2: is oh my God. one of the
1: most <laughs> harrowing movies ever made
2: i i still remember getting it from a library back when that was a thing and uh putting it on thinking it was going to be, like, a Totoro-style Ghibli. I had it on in my living room with, like, friends, and just, it broke my spirit. Oh,
1: I, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't been able to sit through it. I, I I, just, I need to be in the right mindset, and I just can't.
0: <laughs> <But. laughs> see, see I, I had that experience with this movie. <laughs> so, like, am I doomed and, if I don't watch Grave of the, the Fire?
2: Yeah, no, 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 no. It's Grave of the Fireflies is the My Neighbor Totoro of suffering. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's—I mean, it, this isn't the episode about that, but it's about two kids in World War II, like two little civilians who are just trying not to die.
0: <laughs> a tale we can all get behind.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, no, a deeply just whimsy upset, in shoes. <laughs> you know, cartoons. <laughs> uh, but of course, uh, as you mentioned, we are not talking about *Grave of the Fireflies* not yet, at least. <laughs> We'll see how next year goes.
2: <laughs> we'll, say, we'll save that for the Valentine's Day special.
1: <laughs> oh, jeez, that's next month. <laughs> no, uh, this, uh, this month we are talking about Miyazaki's uh, seventh directorial work, uh, Princess Mononoke. Uh, and I definitely think like it's important to kind of mark just kind of in terms of Miyazaki's works, just what this kind of worked, because a lot of his work before this was very very light and fantasy and whimsical. As I think, as far as I know, the uh, the movie he produced just before this was Kiki's Delivery Service. So you have like that. I was about like, to
2: ask. Yeah, that yeah. Totoro and, like gonna, that
1: and Porco Rosso. all these very kind of like light, whimsical family affairs, uh, and Castle of the Sky, of course. Uh, and he decided that he wanted to go bigger uh, before the turn of the millennium in 1997. And decided to just put down, pen this epic and scale um, conflict between industry and the environment.
2: Um, oh, sorry, I wasn't sure if you were kind of still mid-flow. Yeah, well, I mean, like, kind of, I'm not really kind of up-to-date on what's popular and what isn't. Is this, I'm assuming this is among the most popular of the Ghibli still, is it? Uh,
1: I would say so. I, I would say so. But that's, I think, it's, all. I think all of Miyazaki's kind of are, though. I think all of them have a place of prestige. Now, if we want to actually term, talk in terms of pure number crunch, here's uh, some fascinating little facts for you. So, uh, after this movie released in Japan, it became the highest grossing domestic film in the country, only to be overtaken later that year by Titanic.
2: Damn, that was, that was the only fact... That was the only fact I knew about this movie, and you said it. I was really <laughs> proud of that.
1: <laughs> uh, but also, like it, it, cri- it, it netted uh, Miyazaki and Ghibli. Uh, like as I said, I think this was really the springboard for him becoming, uh, for him hitting iconic status, because this was a film that netted him uh, the Japanese the, the Japanese Academy Award for Best Picture, not just Best Animated for Best Picture. Uh, and it
2: deserves it.
1: Absolutely. Um, so, I suppose that we'll, we'll kind of, I we'll get into the movie here. So, what is uh, Prince Mononoke actually about? So, it follows the story of uh, a, an Amishi prince uh, called Ashitaka. And for the record, I suppose Emishi, this is this is the sort of crunch I had to get down to researching when I was doing this. Uh, the Amishi, they were a tribal ethnic group in Japan that were. It's effectively either wiped out or subsumed by the Japanese Empire in the early eighth century. <laughs> uh, so, oh like, wow, Miyazaki is pulling just like deep cultural roots uh, already comparatively. Um, so we have an Amishi prince who whose village is attacked by a cursed boar, uh, cursing himself in the process because his because the Amishia and his village are very spiritual. He is cast out just. Of the village entirely, uh, but sent to find either the uh, the source of the curse, believing that to be the only way for him to possibly cure his 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 terminal uh, terminal curse, uh, and in doing so ends up finding himself in the middle of a conflict between uh, forest spirits and an industrious iron tail.
2: Okay that's I've got to say you've actually summed up a very complicated movie very well.
0: Well I mean I think have even explained it better than the movie did itself cuz like I like when I was <laughs> when I was watching it I was kind of like okay he's an Namishi. they haven't explained what that is and then you know, so for that whole opening section of the movie, they're kind of talking about, they kind of talk about some of their rituals and that in passing, but they talk about it almost as if you're supposed to know what it what it already is. So, you know, there's there's parts where uh, the the wise woman, I suppose, asks him, you know, if he's ready to go on this journey. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And the whole village, what do you mean he has to cut his hair off? And I was like, nobody mentioned that. I think as
1: well, like, I do I... I think it should be considered that Miyazaki probably didn't, um, didn't create this for, for a Western audience. I think it just kind of, it just happened to end up that way. I think like he, he designed it for a very Japanese audience
0: who, yeah. like
1: the culture of cutting your hair, at least him, you know, these kind of, uh, older times was very significant. Um, especially for, you know, he, he was a prince of the village, so he's very royalty. So that's incredibly significant.
2: Uh, really because yeah, the environmental it's... message feels very pointed at a western audience wouldn't you think i mean i know the environment is everywhere not just america yeah it's but kind like there's every... uh,
1: certainly it, it definitely is uh, like, i think it's, it's it's i know but in terms of in terms of
2: industry that's a very westernized thing you know Well,
0: no i mean it, it could be quite a japanese thing as well because they are quite industrious and they are quite you know modernized as well oh, and, like in the sense considering...
2: of it destroying the environment though
1: Oh, like, you have to honestly think about, like, how... Like, I, I know a little bit about the, kind of, the Japanese Industrial Revolution, and it was an incredibly swift affair. Because, uh, you know, no, they'd like, they had their borders, like, Jap- Japan's borders were closed for centuries. So while, you know, the Industrial Revolution was happening globally, Japan was still in a very, kind of, uh, rural, uh, rustic environment, pre-industry. So when, during the Meiji period, the borders opened, Uh, it was an explosive growth of industry, Uh, industry and technology and steam power and all of this. And uh, I think like that definitely kind of resonates with this idea of, like it's a very global thing, but Japan had a very kind of like succinct and rapid industry growth in the kind of the early
2: 1900s. Well, that's, well, that's why I was wondering, I assumed... Because I know um, Katie made the point about the sort of setting not being explained in the village he leaves. I assumed this was a fantasy setting because he leaves this sort of mystical place and then meets the fictitious rise of industry right in time. I assume this is all invented. So this is, I'm obviously this didn't happen, but this is based on relative history then? I
1: would say so. I I would say say it's very kind of like based in a nebulous fantasy form of Japan. And as well, like Japan, obviously uh, kind of Shintoism is uh, heavily the belief of kind of like spirits residing in, you know, very kind of mundane objects. So the idea of there being forest spirits and tree spirits and all of this and and animal spirits, uh, like it's very much just kind of like, it's, bringing them just to life and just s- supplanting them in this, uh, in, this destruct- in this destruction of environment, the destruction of forestry.
2: I'm into the nitty gritty of all this, but I really liked the, the way the film introduces the setting through it's Ashi Taka as the main character, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, anything kind of vaguely kind of environmental tends to fall, no matter how hard it tries, into like a heroes on this side, villains on this side. And I really like the way that Ashitaka first meets the kind of samurai soldier and gets his point of view and then goes to the Iron Town and then gets their point of view and then goes to the forest and gets all their point of view. It's There's no real villain as such. I know we're going to probably get into that later, but like everyone in it comes from a culture that needs very particular things that just happens to bash off everything else. And I really like the way that, that upon hundreds of hundreds of viewings that they've kind of fleshed that out and they don't make it feel like they're just expositing to you do you know what I mean
0: yeah it's kind of that was one thing I noticed as well is that there's no clear good guy bad guy dynamic it's just you know because the people who are destroying the environment are also lovely people and they're you know they're trying to help Ashitaka and they're you know all this kind of stuff and even the woman who who runs that village she's like adopting Latin sex workers and there's the forest who just want the forest to be nice and, and they you know they can be living in it but then they're kind of horrible people at the same time oh yeah
1: like as much, yeah uh, as much as uh, San uh, the, the princess herself uh, like you know like as much as you want to kind of root for her standing for you know the 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 survival of the forest and survival of the spirits, she's a ruthless murderer. <laughs> like
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, she's she's a murdery Batman.
1: Yeah, like it's it like the every like the characters in this just feel so fundamentally human that you have like you, you feel compelled that they're that they're so compelling that, that they're so engaging.
0: Is is it weird that I was kind of towards the end, I was kind of more rooting for the polluters just because they were such lovely people. <laughs>
2: That's that's what I was about to say, actually. If this was like a Star Wars setting, Lady Eboshi would be like leading the Rebel Alliance. Because also against the backdrop, you you don't see the strength of them, but you know that there is... Kev, you can correct me on this. A sort of samurai empire, kind of just a small piece of a much bigger...
1: Oh, that's just the Japanese Empire. Like, <laughs> that, like, that's, like, that's a, a Jigo, the, the monk. And, like, he is he is puppeteering Eboshi into killing the forest spirit because the emperor wants his head. The, the emperor believes that the forest spirit's head will make him immortal. So, really, there is a bad guy. It's the emperor. We just never see him.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, in fairness... Yeah, though- but that's... <laughs> In fairness now, the forest spirit himself is kind of a jerk.
1: Uh, see, I think that that's one fascinating part of it, is that the forest is presented as something so fundamentally neutral. Nature doesn't care about you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something I think, like, e- like by, pers- by kind of personifying as kind of, like, physical embodiments, they've just, like, they've created these animals that just do not care. Like as as you see, the forest spirit it dies and it 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 kills and it revives because that's what nature does.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's very true. true. (laughs) Is it? Is it? it He's just
1: look. Is it because he has a weird like human face? Is that
0: <laughs> No, well, the, the face thing was really weird because it's, it's kind of like he has this weird humanoid face, but at the same time it's not and it keeps changing and shifting, but it's kind of more just his attitude towards things in general, you know? He's kind of like, yeah, I, I mean, you know, even the fact that he has the power this whole time to kind of put things the way they were, he's like, yeah, I don't feel like it.
1: Yeah, I think
2: that's Yeah, but like Kev says, he's he's a he's a neutral presence though. Nature has been there forever. Mm. Humans have just rocked up on a store
1: I think that's it.
2: Like I think you're you're trying to rationalize him with with his yeah, ex- well, want a reaction it, from I, it. And I it's like I'm it's, and walking around the forest.
0: I think it's more <laughs> the juxtaposition of like the other forest gods that are they're working really hard to kind of try and put things back, to plant new trees, all of this kind of thing and he's supposed to be their leader, but he's like, yeah, I really don't care.
2: <laughs> but he but that's the thing. He isn't their leader. He just exists. The animals are a culture in and of themselves, separate to what the forest does, they just live there, you know.
1: Yeah, I think like he, hes less of a less of a person or less of a being, and just more of a sheer force of nature.
2: That's force is a good word. He's like if the force in Star Wars was a being. It's—it's it's not that it's good or bad. It just exists, and people just sort of use the space however they. But that's what I like about the film, though. It's you could so easily have the forest spirit be the. It's tinkerbelly pixie thing that's helpless or mighty or just very one particular thing but it's a very unknowable do you know what I mean
0: yeah it kind of it just does what it does when it wants to and it doesn't really care about anyone else
2: like a tree <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: trees, trees just got a tree
0: yeah <laughs> scorpion's got a scorpion got a score <laughs> Listen, that's just how it be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, I mean, I, I can. That's the that Japanese
2: to, word. That's just how it be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like I can get that to an extent. It's just it's kind of when you put it against all the, you know, even the little forest spirits who like pretty much worship this guy, and he doesn't do anything for or against anyone. You know.
1: Hmm. I think, like, he definitely like. I think, it, but it's like, he feels like. A, like
2: Well, I mean, that's true, but like, I mean, if you're going to destroy the forest, the forest has got to be like a little Pixar-y thing you can attach emotions to, you know, like, I think if you just burn down a tree, it'd just be like, ah, that was a nice tree.
0: Well, yeah, I think that's it as well, because like, they're so they're all going after the forest spirit, like obviously trying to behead him, and he's he's so neutral and he's so bland and met that he's not very likable, that you don't feel like, oh no, they can't kill him, you know, it's kind of more about, oh no, but what about all the little forest spirits?
1: See, that's, I think as well, like, it, it, I don't think you're supposed to, like, as I said, I think he kind of, of a Gopher, where you just kind of, like, if you're to pick a side, you're to pick between the animal spirits and the people of Irontane. Like, they, they're your, they're your protagonists.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. If a Snorlax falls asleep in the middle of the road, it hasn't done it to annoy you particularly.
0: No, it has. But
2: he isn't responsible for the large, angry reaction you have for not being able to cycle to that next town.
1: Ian are you saying that the he's that, just that, doing are, what he are does you tra- are you trying to say that a snorlax is an ancient omnipotent spirit being
0: I mean it could be it, could be. it
2: has lasers
1: <laughs> anything's possible
0: it does shoot lasers out of its eyes that's fair
1: oh damn you got me there yeah that's definitely a god <laughs> uh, okay actually let me ask you a question kind of, um... it responds to a flute <laughs> oh god. Uh, let me actually ask you guys. So, how did uh, how did, did did you guys watch this? Uh, obviously, we all watched it probably on Netflix because they're all the given films are available on Netflix. Thank anime Jesus. Um, <laughs> but uh, did you guys watch yeah. this uh, in English or Japanese?
0: I did it in English, um, but I did it with subtitles. So basically, I was watching Ooh, it. Like, I only watched it the other night and. Um, so I was in the room and Austin was also in the room playing video games, so I was like okay, I'll put it on low, I'll put subtitles on so I can just read it as it's happening. I've, because I have it,
2: because I got all the Ghibli's on DVD like a sap. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I have watched both versions. This is for this one in particular. I quite like the English dub because this is my only other fact that Kev doesn't know. Possibly, I think Neil Gaiman actually did the English draft of this film. Yes, he I did. know he was involved with it to he some did. degree. He wrote, yeah, so he wrote it, the English
1: dub. So, so it
2: listens, yeah,
1: yeah, so yeah. It,
2: so it listens. It it feels like a proper like original property in that dub some of them like grave of the fireflies you can tell they just translated it and it's awkward at times but this is one which got the proper florid rewrite treatment and i think it's really strong for that
1: at this and with this i would like to springboard off into one of my favorite rabbit holes which is the western release of this movie but actually first okay one little nice one little fun tidbit i want to bring up is the name itself because it's 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 an interesting. Got kind of a name because obviously San is called San and not Mononoke.
0: Well, they they do reference her as Princess Mononoke like once.
1: See, that's the thing. Uh, it, like, I like I done some research on this because I kind of thought it meant like Beast Princess. It kind of translates out to cursed princess, and uh, like Mononoke San or Mononoke. Hime. Yeah. It's, it's Uh, like, it's only ever used, as I said, once, I think it's only ever said once in the film, and that is when Iboshi is essentially just taunting her.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's kind of like, what's it, it means like shape-shifting being or something like like, that. Yeah, like, just kind
1: of cursed beast princess. Yeah. (laughs) Um. so I just, I just kind of thought that was like, that was a little fun fact. Uh, I think like the, the alternative title, at least for the English, whether or not this was the original Japanese title, was supposed to be like the Legend of Ashitaka, and it just doesn't have the same ring to it.
0: Yeah, well, well, that's what I was wondering because this is
2: distributed by Disney, so
0: yes, princesses,
2: I, like, maybe they were hoping she'd be in that hierarchy.
1: Well, no, again, like, before Disney got, got the distribution the distribution rights, uh, the Japanese film is called Mononoke Hime.
0: Well, I mean, I think uh, the whole thing with, with Ashitaka as well is that, yeah, he is the main character, but he kind of feels very, like, to, especially towards the end, he feels very secondary. He's kind of, he's just there and this is all happening around him.
2: Well, I want to, like, I know you've got, like, a wonderful tangent prepared, Kev, but I want to defend Ashitaka on that respect, because I feel like he's got a more interesting main character journey that he's given credit for, because it starts with him being this, like...
0: Like, that's, that's, it's not what I was getting at, saying that he's secondary, it's kind of more like he kind of reminds me of, you know, like say Link from Zelda, where he has all this thrown at him. Like he is the the protagonist, but he's, he's got this horrible situation thrown at him and it's like, go fix this.
2: You know no, I, but well, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, you go Kev.
1: No, I was, I, I, I was just going to actually mention that, um, that the, the Legend of Zelda, Zelda comparison did take into my mind and there's, there's some very odd similarities, like how the film, like how the film is, like how the franchise is named, for somebody who is not the main character, but it's their love their love interest. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but that's but that's what I was gonna say though. It's like he's yeah, to some degree he's secondary by the end. But also I think it wouldn't work without him because he's the only character who has made an empathetic connection involved in the conflict there. It wouldn't work. And B if he didn't make a connection to a Boshi uh, and uh, is it Rin, the kind of Delphi, and San? Then they wouldn't actually get the start. An outsider in this world trying to put all the pieces together. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
1: Yeah, he's he, like he, he is a point of view character, but he's a very effective point of view character that makes enough. But that's what I mean choice. it's a point of view
2: character. Yeah, yeah, he's not just like the link comparison. He's not just there to watch the world and now and again do like an o- Owen Wilson <laughs> wow. He actually affects change in the environment. To use that yeah. word incorrectly, but, but you mean, know. I mean, what
0: does Link do for Hyrule? Well, I mean, he
2: doesn't talk.
0: No, but you don't you don't have to talk to to make change. You <laughs> yeah, but like I,
1: I, like as we no, to talk about this no, in the video game, as much as like your decisions playing as Link the decisions aren't made for Link. Uh, the deci- sorry, the decisions are made for Link. Link doesn't decide anything independently of himself. Uh, whereas, That's like, what I mean
2: by affecting change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: like, while. Uh, because, like, in this movie, Ashtaka makes decisions and comes to his own conclusions. Uh, while the movie is presented for you to make your own conclusions. Uh, but like in, in the narrative That's a fair he made, point, yeah. He made decisions and he chose his side And he, he, he made his, his, t- his task
2: Yeah, and he never like threw anyone else under the bus to do it He tries to save as many people as possible Like,
0: hmm. Yeah, that's fair You know, his whole thing is just like Why are you fighting?
2: Like I mean me and Kev, like we both are like, we're both huge fans of the Fire Emblem Three Houses thing. And when you're forced to make a decision, those are the two houses that are going under the bus. Like Ashitaka would have none of that. He'd have saved all of them like
1: he'd have tried his hardest.
0: <laughs> you know what? But Kev, little... I
2: think you're about to tell us a big elaborate story, were you? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry,
1: Katie. Uh, do, you have another, do you have another thing to say before I get back on my bullshit?
0: Oh, no. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say the real unsung hero of that movie is Yakul.
1: Oh, man, bless Yakul. Yeah, he's got it, what a legend. Bless that uh, red deer. Sweet boy. <laughs> <laughs> try so hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got... It's, yeah, and actually, I know,
2: again, we're postponing Kez rant, but the English voice cast in this is top notch in the dub. There's some fantastic casting there, like.
1: Yeah, so, okay, well, I I think we'll, I'll I'll put a pin in that because as mentioned earlier, we're gonna get into the Western distribution of this because I think this is pretty kind of fascinating. Uh, So, as I mentioned up up top, uh, you gotta remember that like, you know, this is the late 90s, so anime was not really coming over to the West unless it was very particular or was being shielded to art house movies. Things were changing uh, with the with the rise of popularity of Akira and the proliferation of VHS tapes. Hey, guys, remember VHS tapes? <laughs>
0: Anime.
2: Oh, man. Pausing an image and watching it go up and down like its life depends on it. Oh,
1: bless it.
0: Rewinding uh, with a pencil.
1: But <laughs> Disney decided to put a stake in this and say, you know what? We know that there's cult success in some of these movies. Uh, we want to bring them over here give them an English voice cast, and, and release them. And now, you got to think, from Disney's perspective, they're getting My Neighbor Totoro, they're getting Castle in the Sky, they're getting Kiki's Delivery Service, all these really fun family movies, right? Uh, Disney acquires the rights in about 19... I think it was 1996. While Miyazaki is producing Princess Mononoke. So, you know, Disney didn't quite exact get what they were expecting. <laughs> uh, so, but you know, they they were under contract. Disney, you know, released it. They, I think they they subbed it down to Miramax instead of the Disney brand, and Miramax put it down to one of their sub uh, subcommittees committees. But uh, Disney released it. I think they released it mostly in kind of art house. They didn't give it a wide distribution, but they did give it a, a fairly all star uh, English voice cast, which is even like it's just kind of rare outside of Ghibli movies, uh, with the likes of, like, Mini Driver as Lady Eboshi, Billy Bob Thornton as Jigo, Keith David as Otoko, the, the boar spirit near the end, uh, John DiMaggio as Gonza, Eboshi's guard, uh, Gillian Anderson as Moro, San's um, wolf mother, uh, Claire Danes as San, <laughs> and uh, Billy Crotup as Asitaka. So, like, I, well, I'm not personally a huge fan of some of the performances, Sometimes I feel like, like, actual actors aren't great voice actors. Like, it's, it's still, like, it's very significant that, like, these big names were being attached to this niche Japanese project at the time.
0: Keith David can do no wrong. Keith David can do no wrong.
2: <laughs> oh, put Keith David in anything and I'll at least give it a chance.
1: Uh, so, as mentioned up top as well, Neil Gaiman, who again? You gotta remember at this point, Neil Gaiman, not a household name at this point. He'd hadn't started Sandman. He'd hadn't written Stardust. He'd hadn't written American Gods. This was to, he, Neil Gaiman at the point was just the guy that wrote a weird book with Terry Pratchett. <laughs> <laughs> like this, again, we we're talking late nineties. So like Neil Gaiman, just an up and coming fantasy writer. They just they just like yeah, you you can write this script. That's fine. Go right ahead. And... <laughs> um, but here's where one of my favorite little tangents comes down. Because as I said, Disney, because the mature content pushed out of Miramax, guess who ran Miramax at the time? And here we bring in human garbage pile, Harvey Weinstein.
0: Oh. Bump,
1: bump, um, so, uh, Weinstein, being the, the, the true piece of trash he is, uh, saw this was like, this is weird. If I'm releasing this, I'm cutting 30 minutes out of it. Uh, and when you have someone like a pighead like Weinstein and just this iron will of Miyazaki,
0: <laughs> so uh, wait, hang, hang on a minute, because the one I watched was over two hours long. How long yeah. is this movie?
1: Oh no, it's it's about two hours. Uh, because there was because they released it as it was. Uh, uh, okay. Because when Harvey Weinstein demanded that the film be cut, word got to Miyazaki. One of Miyazaki's producers allegedly sent harvey weinstein in the mail a katana sword with the note (laughs) literally reading no cuts
0: (laughs) 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 that is so badass
1: and one of my favorite quotes was that when (laughs) like when weinstein got this he went off on one of his like baby in a diaper tantrums and is allegedly quoted to saying about Hayao Miyazaki he will never work in this industry again (laughs) which 20 years on is the funniest goddamn thing I've ever heard
2: Oh. (laughs) oh my god are we actually gonna start like a segment on your show where Weinstein tries to stop Japanese directors from doing things in their own movies?
1: You know Up what? to I think, two at least. I think, you know, he, oh God, yeah, the, yeah Bong Joon-ho. God, like, <laughs> I love that, I love that story so much. Okay. I don't know, if I, I, did you hear about uh, Harvey Weinstein talking to Bong Joon-ho, Katie? Uh, no. Okay, we're sidebarring barring this because this is one of the funniest goddamn things I've ever heard. Uh, you know Snowpiercer? Yes. Yeah. So again, Snowpiercer, uh, released and developed, uh, pretty, uh, distributed by Miramax, uh, and again, Weinstein, getting his fingers all over it, wanted, again, you know, so it's always like, what's this weird Korean thing, I don't like it, we're cutting, like, 20 minutes out of it, uh, and there's one scene in, uh, in Snowpiercer, which is kind of out of blue, is one of the bad guys, like, guts a fish in front of people, That's like, a power move, it's kind of odd, but it's there, and Weinstein very really went into a fish, like, what's this weird fish thing, I hate it, we're cutting it, um, Bong Joon Ho, when when Weinstein said to him was like we're cutting this out in the movie, Bong was like, I you know I, I it's actually it means a lot to me. And uh, my father was a fishmonger, and that's this is my this is my tribute to him. And Weinstein was like, oh, okay, I guess Namaste, my my brother. I guess you know family means everything. We keep this. Ten years later, Bong Joon was like, no, I just wanted the fish thing in it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're not messing with my
1: movie. No, I like, guess I just wanted it. That's not- that's so. That's that. Those
2: two stories side by side are like in a video game where you've got like the charm or the renegade option. <laughs> Lie about your father. Sword. <laughs>
1: Send
2: Make it your choice. In the
1: mail. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you don't really get the benefit in either case, though, because you don't get to see his face when he finds him.
0: Well, yeah, but like, what about you know? Okay, being on the receiving end of that, you get a cool sword.
2: I was going to say, that would be handy for him trying to get out of jail, wouldn't it? Yeah. Not that he should. Oh, no. I'm not giving him advice. No. He can stay oh, there. Oh, no. He can Oh,
0: he can too, too soon, keen Too soon. <laughs> and, but yeah, that's, that, that's, it's,
1: it's, it's just, that's, like, considering, you know, we're at a point where uh, anime movies are being, oh, like, to, to a point where they're being uh, released as, almost as soon as they're released in Japan. In the West, at least limited. It's just really fascinating to look back, and this was the esoteric nonsense they had to go through. To get well, this to is start. what I was going
2: to ask because even compared to other Ghibli movies, this is dark, as Katie mentioned before we started recording. Not Firefly dark, but like uh, oh, definitely.
1: Like, in in terms of like Miyazaki's work, definitely. And I think it's it's certain like it's difficult for me to like c- kind of talk about preferences in terms of him. All of his movies mean something to me but i think i will i will go on record saying that i think this is his most ambitious project
2: oh easily it feels yeah. like a 4 hour story that got cut down in the most efficient way possible you've got there's so much more world to look for yeah, you know yeah there's
0: there's a lot of world that's not explored or explained and it feels like you know if maybe if they'd done it a bit longer or as a series or something that it could have been more fleshed out
2: like i got that i know we're not reviewing it this week but what the first give movie Nausicaa I struggled with that a bit because it felt like that was based on like an ongoing manga series and that was one where it felt like there was too much world to explain in a movie but they tried their best Mononoke feels like they got it down properly and it didn't feel like you were being given too much information it, didn't. it had a nice flow and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah it, it definitely feels like this was one solid tight project project from start to finish that is exact. That almost feels uh, like it was exactly how the director imagined.
2: Mm. And, I'm
1: think, uh, usher, and see, I now I felt,
0: in. I felt the opposite of it. Now, not that it wasn't good, but just I felt that there was a lot of. So, like when I was in college, we used to do this thing called "show, don't tell," um, and it's basically if you're if you're telling people about something some kind of context you show them rather than just tell and I feel like there was a lot of backstory that was kind of just told if that makes sense yeah,
2: yeah that's fair I think the only bit I notice it generally is when the boars turn up and they kind of have to explain their backstory but before that I felt like all the the expedition either was done physically like you know Ashitaka hanging out with the women and doing the kind of steam things and that kind of stuff or it came from character i think for the most part yeah it well does I mean, a like, fairly good job
0: even just things like san's backstory is kind of it's very throwaway it's done in about five seconds you know it's like okay how is why and how is she living with wolves and the wolf just kind of goes oh yeah uh, i caught her parents being you know assholes so i kicked them out and they left <laughs> her behind and i'm like okay that, that's that's the start of the story where's the rest of it
2: we don't have time. Keep yeah, moving. We've we have, we have an environment to save.
0: Yeah, we don't have the time. Now, I, she I lives don't... with us. That's all you need to know.
1: No, I know that it's, it's not glowing <laughs> pra- It's never glowing praise to say this about a movie, but I definitely think it's a movie that that uh, benefits six su- uh, benefits deeply from multiple watches. Not nece- like it's not necessity, mm. but I think like you. Me and Kean probably are speaking so highly of it because we've seen it several times over. So we've had time to kind of like re-examine it and point out like, oh, I missed this the first time. That explains that. Um, so I think like it's, I, I, as I said, I don't want to say that you should watch a movie twice because like if, if you have to watch a movie twice to get it, it's it's not a great movie. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think it would definitely benefit to watch it to watch it a couple of times if you didn't quite get it. Well, okay, actually, let me let me let me pose this more as a question: Would you watch this movie again?
0: To be honest, probably not. Um, and it's it's purely just be well, it's probably not purely just because but like I went into this kind of coming from a place of you know Ponyo and Spirited Away and House Moving Castle and I was like oh this is gonna be another nice fun you know family friendly kind of thing and 15 minutes into it I was like he just beheaded a guy with an arrow <laughs> so I, I've I was been trying to bring shocked.
2: up the, the violence yeah 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 <laughs> His ar- the um, arms suck stuck to the tree
0: it, it kind of it starts out the same way as those others do you know like he's a, a nice young boy living in an idyllic Countryside, rural village, and you know, okay, yeah, he gets attacked by a demon, but there's nothing kind of noteworthy about it other than the fact that right there's a demon. And then he, as soon as he leaves the village, it's like all hell breaks loose, and there's blood everywhere, <laughs> and like people are losing <laughs> limbs. And it it, it it was one of those things that it kind of shocked me because I wasn't expecting it.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think like if I definitely think it's it's one that's I, I think I definitely think it's it's designed to shock you to. To, to to make it clear to you, this is not a movie that's messing around. The points of this movie are poignant and important, and here is here is the, the the stark reality of it. I I like when I watched it this time. I I definitely read it that the curse that got put onto him was, for lack of a comparison, kind of Hulk ish. <laughs> uh, no, like it's uh, like no, said, it is, it, it is, is. <laughs> um, and like that's kind of clear with the with. The, the two boars that get cursed as well. It's it's this overcoming of rage that clouds judgment uh, and makes you terribly powerful. Like uh, like when he's escaping the village. He's you know just just he's just throwing whole logs and he lifts the gate that they say has to be lifted by ten men with one arm.
0: And he's like, he's doing all of this while he's been like shot completely through the chest.
1: Yeah like he like it it is it is showing that like while like power is power has a cost, and that cost is clouding judgment.
2: But that's what I like about this film though, because all of the all of the groups should reasonably be able to get along together, but the more passionate they get, the it's almost like those blinkers on horses, the less yeah. they see. And Ash and Ashitaka starts in that place because he's killed a thing. And now he is looking at this world he doesn't understand and dealing out justice as he sees it. And the more and more people he meets, the more he appreciates that there are lots and lots of different viewpoints. And San is on that journey too. So I, I like the fact that there is a collective moving all the characters towards openness and understanding without being heavy handed about it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I, I kind of like the symbolism for it as well, is that like you said, like the more passionate people become about their side of things, the more blinded they become. And I quite liked the the symbolism in that the most stubborn person in the entire movie who's the leader of the boars is literally blind. Uh,
2: that's true, really actually. Good. That's, that's nice. a really good point.
0: Yeah, no, I I didn't think about that. That's that's real god, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, and and, like, their whole thing is that they know they're going to die, but they're just so in on this cause that, like, you know, they want to do it before they disappear. And it's just, like, it's just, you feel so bad for everyone. There's no one who's like, the, that guy, that jerk. Yeah, 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 him. I, I, I can't wait till he, like, falls in the lava. That kind of Actually, thing.
0: I ha- Just concerning the boars, I have a question that's probably going to sound like such a stupid noob question, right? How did they <laughs> apply war paint? <laughs> they are covered in war paint. How did they do that?
1: Cartoon physics. A
2: wizard did it. Wizard did. <laughs> Maybe they just
1: did like it. it, just like gingerly against their tusks. That's, that's yeah. that the best I can. <laughs> uh, I think okay. If I if I had to get kind a of level of like, one big criticism against us, and I don't want to get I don't, uh, mild spoilers. If if to those listening, uh, this is like it's the the, the end. I felt it had almost too much of a happy ending.
0: Do you think it was happy?
1: Everybody lived.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, every I think- well, not everybody, but I mean, to me, the ending was very much so that, obviously the whole movie is them. They can't see past their own side of hmm. things, their own wants, their own needs. And the ending of it seemed very much like we haven't learned any lessons. Because I mean, like the people in Irontown, obviously Irontown, you know, being what it is gets consumed by the forest again, whatever. But everybody in Irontown is like, okay, we're going to build again. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, and see, I, I didn't,
1: I didn't read that so much as we're going to build Iron again. I think it's just that we're going to build civilization again. That was my yeah, kind of interpretation. Yeah, I, I don't know. But
0: like to me, to me, it just seemed like we're going to start again. And even with San, you know, the whole so the whole thing with Ashitaka and San is like he's willing to give up, you know, what he knows his life to be with her. And at the at the end of the movie, she's kind of like, I can't see past myself. So he says, okay, well then you go live in the woods. <laughs>
2: Yeah. well I mean I, I I mean I don't want to be a contrarian for the sake of it but my kind of read on that was that their conflict had brought them just enough to the point of absolute destruction as it could reasonably be and they were offered a, a slight chance at redemption but with it very clear that if they do this again this will happen again to bring in like Guardians of the Galaxy it's like why do you want to save the universe because I'm one of the assholes that lives in it like mm. th- they've demonstrated that this is what happens when we just completely like just take each other for granted and our world for granted, and every character is affer- is offered a chance at redemption, but not
0: not forgiveness. It. If yeah. you
2: know what I mean, like it's you know, funny. it's I just. Yeah,
1: I think I'm just getting hung up on on, on Jigen or Jigo. just kind of like seems like it ah, didn't work out. Live and learn, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, that, and that's the thing. It's, it's like, he's not even like, he hasn't learned any fring, no, anything I think, from that I experience. Think like he's just like, oh, maybe next time I should just do it all myself.
1: That's the thing. I think there's there's some there's some characters where I feel like they didn't learn a lesson and stakes kind of need to be upheld.
0: Yeah, it, it's um, kind of like everybody just goes back to doing what they were already doing, even though they see the consequences.
1: Yeah, like, I think that's, that's like my true caveat, I think.
2: But but this is my question: How do you have the whole film them being complex and sympathetic, and then also have the narrative punish them? Do you know what I mean? Well, if a narrative not, no, punishes it's, them, it's not necessarily
0: it's... punish them, but at least have them see why their actions were wrong in the first place. It, yeah, no, it feels like I not,
1: suppose like as much destruction as is wrought at the end of the movie, uh, when all is said and done, at least for some characters. Again, I think I'm focusing in on jigo a lot. It doesn't feel like there's any consequences.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, but Gigo's too charming. He's the Del Boy of the movie. I would say that, like, your points are correct, but there's also the fact that there's it's an environmental movie, and environmental movies need to send you out there with hope. Yeah,
1: I think like, because I... Because if you I, don't I have saying, hope,
2: you won't affect change. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Mm. I suppose, yeah, if, you, if you're saying, if you're... Yeah, I get the, the point that it's probably a message for you as opposed to for the characters. I get that.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, there was a Doctor Who episode last year that was specifically about global warming and it ended on a debbie downer ending and it just didn't work you just come away going oh forget you i do my recycling what? what? what's, what's but, but this I mean, you know
0: I, I feel like there are ways that they could have handled the ending in that they still get the message across you know and lessons are learned at the same time
1: okay that's fair that's fair as
0: I think, like, I, at this point, it is, like, I am nitpicking.
1: I genuinely, <laughs> like, this. I, like, as I said, this is probably my only critique I have against this. I still adore this movie to hell and back.
0: Yeah, like, it, it's not my favourite Ghibli movie, but at the same time, I didn't hate it.
2: That's fair. If you could, just for contrast, what would be your favourite uh, Ghibli movie, Casey?
0: Um, probably, probably Ponyo. I don't know. There's just something about that little fish girl.
2: (laughs) Oh, this movie ain't
1: Ponyo. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's definitely.
0: I mean, that's what I was saying is that I came into it from that, you know, all the nice... Like, I think that the darkest it ever got was probably Spirited Away or Hell's Moving Castle. And even in that, they're quite lighthearted. It's more kind of the war going on in the background. And so I came into it from that perspective. So I wasn't really expecting it to be as, you know, as gory and as dark as it actually was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. For me, the wind. Yeah. Sorry, Miyazaki has a deft hand at being able to write these, these terribly dramatic parts, but they're all subtext.
0: Yeah.
2: I don't know. It's the rises is still my favorite, but it really just depends on my mood. I do love how they get this like epic scale down, and you just how you very rare is it in a movie. I feel protective of every single character, especially like you never feel bad for the orcs or the stormtroopers or anything like that. Like you know, so I think that what they pulled off here is an incredible achievement of storytelling, even before you get to the animated aspects of it
1: oh that's yeah yeah, like i don't think we talked enough but just how truly gorgeous this movie is
0: yeah (laughs) and
1: the animation
0: is just beautiful
1: another kind of like just fun fact about it about the production was that uh no part like apparently allegedly no frame of this movie didn't go forward without miyazaki's express permission he oversaw everything and i think uh there's a, there was a report saying that he he redrew eight I think it was eighteen thousand frames, not like not not necessarily. Apparently, like he he had to check eighteen thousand frames and like re and get get his staff to redraft them essentially. But like it was oh it was, my god, it, la- it was an express labor from him for perfection.
2: <laughs> if I had to check every microsecond of a script I was writing. 18,000 times or whatever. I, I'm not surprised it would turn out as good as this. That is a high level of involvement.
1: Yeah, that is, that is, that is, uh, that is the, uh, that is the expression of a man that chain smokes but and that say that anime was a mistake. That's
0: that is that is literally, <laughs> your art is your baby.
2: Yeah, yeah. to circle back to He Who Shall Not Be Named, I wonder how many, like, thousand frames, a half an hour movie you getting cut would be to him at the other side of it. Like, you know, he's like, I checked those like 35,000 frames manually. I'm not cutting this.
1: Literally, yeah. Uh, And I think I I also truly have to give a massive shout out as well to the composer, Um, Uh, Joe, Joe Hisishi, who is also the composer of pretty much every other Ghibli movie. Just an incredible composer, just Truly gorgeous piece of music.
2: <laughs> yeah, I watched a YouTube thing on that composer recently, and he's got, like, an amazing way of taking these, like, really weird, unusual melodies and making them sound really, really pretty. It's hard to make music sound pretty, especially in a movie, like, but he's found a way.
1: Yeah, like, he, he, is, he, he is part of the reason why Ghibli is so prolific as it is, because it has, like, that very Ghibli sound as well as that Ghibli look. And it's all this one kind of neat package.
2: Yeah, it's Ghibli music. It's like, even now, I I can still remember, like, the Totoro theme and that kind of stuff. It's really, it's earwormy, but not intentionally. Do you know what I mean? It's just very nice and breezy, and it stays with you, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, if I have to, like, kind of just de-stress the Spirited Away soundtrack (laughs) is just an ease off my mind.
2: (laughs) Mm. the lovely guitars and like uh the wind rises or like just the sort of summer holiday sounds of uh tojaro like you know that's it's really it's got a lot of personality like
1: yeah no truly just beautiful stuff um well i think that's that's about it guys as far as uh, as far as I can say <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, truly this this has been a blast i'm so i am delighted with with uh with discussions we had. Uh, do either of you have any anything you like to add before we go?
2: Over to you, Katie. Me? <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Nothing out of the ordinary. Just, you know, still working away with, uh, with my own show, doing it for the exposure. That's out every Thursday. And we are doing our last episode before Christmas next week. And then we are going to be taking a substantial break and reconfiguring the show when we come back.
2: You mean three weeks ago?
0: When yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Just cut yeah. that part. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I my brain doesn't work anymore these days. No, so nothing is new with me. Nothing is new. Nothing. Okay, nothing.
1: okay. If you've listened for this long, we're just gonna peel back the curtain. It's it's early December. Um, it's early December. Yes, <laughs> we, and we apparently
0: want... I have no chill. <laughs> and you've
2: and you've just lost Whamageddon Again, again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They just cut that, it's fine. Well, Kian, what
1: have you got down the pipeline in this wonderful uh, definitely January?
2: Well, in this definitely January, I may or may not be reviewing Star Trek Discovery on uh, Geek Ireland, because I don't know how long the series is going to be. If it's still going, I'll be reviewing it on Geek Ireland. In
0: January.
2: Uh, and you can find, yeah, in January, The, the Mandalorian in weeks past, Yeah,
1: But you can definitely find all the reviews you have done on Geek Ireland up to now.
2: If it's a a TV show review, it's probably mine. So you can find all my stuff there. I'm also hoping to get the Game Corner back in January as well. But you will know better than me if I succeeded it by the time this airs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Definitely, you know, if you're listening to this, definitely keep an eye on the feeds for for the exposure and for the Game Corner. And for all the other shows, you can find all three of us usually on Nerd to no basis. And you can find me playing Dungeons & Dragons with some friends of mine over on twitch.tv slash ConnorRain. It's truly a blast on that. And, and we will see you all next time for another anime Crash Course.
0: In February.
1: February. In February. <laughs> <definitely> <laughs> in February. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.
2: My vote's great for the Fireflies. Bye.
1: for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.